everybody. Good morning, and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in. Uh, welcome. Our theme for the year is Transformed in 2018. And we're in a series right now that we are calling Freedom to Change. We almost called this series Too Much to Change because sometimes you can look at other people and see uh, how close they are with God or how much their lives seem to be together. And, and you think to yourself, you know, I don't know if I can get there from here. It's just too much. And so what we decided to do is take a look at different people in the Bible who had a ton to change. And then they came into contact with Jesus Christ and were radically and profoundly transformed. And they were never, ever the same. Last week, we looked at the disciple Thomas, also called Doubting Thomas. And one of the things I told you last week is if, if this is your heart, then every time you disobey God, it's like you move further away from Him and deeper into doubt. And if this is your heart, then every time you obey God, then you throw yourself deeper into your understanding of Him, deeper into His love, deeper into freedom, and deeper into joy. And that's what I want. By December, I want to be deeper into my understanding of Jesus. I want to be deeper into love, deeper into joy, deeper into freedom. And I want that for you too. And that's why we're going through all these series the way we're doing it. Now, this week, we're going to look at two different people. And their stories are back-to-back in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, one of the guy's names is Zacchaeus, and this is the way he's described in Luke chapter 19. It says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. The other guy is in Luke chapter 18, one chapter before, and he's described as being young, as being a ruler, and he also is described as being rich. Now, we call that guy just the rich young ruler because we don't know his name. Both these men are described as being wealthy. Both these men come into contact with Jesus. One story ends in deep grief, and one story ends with deep joy. Deep joy. I'm calling this message, Freedom to Change, Too Much Money. Too Much Money. Okay, here are my three points. I want to talk about the danger, the joy, and the challenge. Uh, avoiding the danger, uh, discovering the joy, and then accepting the challenge. Okay, first, avoid the danger. Uh, let me read from Luke chapter 18, if you have your Bibles. I'm just going to read a portion of the story of the rich young ruler. I'm going to begin with verse 18 and go to verse 24. This is what it says. And a ruler asked him, him being Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
This is God's Word. All right, there's a, a lot there we're not going to be able to get to because I want to get to Zacchaeus and Joy. But let me just pull out a few things. Uh, this story appears in three out of the four Gospels. You know, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This story of the rich young ruler appears in the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Mark, and then here in Luke. In the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that he's young. In the Gospel of Mark, it tells us that Jesus loved him. All three Gospels tell us he was a ruler and that he was wealthy. All three Gospels tell us that Jesus gave him an invitation. Jesus said, I want you to take all that you have, sell it, give it away. You'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And all three Gospels tell us that he went away very sad. All right. Right now, (laughs) some of you are getting queasy. And the reason is because uh, we're talking about money and we're in church and that never ends well. All right. And I know that and I get it. I get it that if you didn't know what I was going to say, then you might be thinking that I'm going to put you on some kind of guilt trip about money. And that's not my intent. I don't think that's Jesus' intent. Uh, I think Jesus' intent is to tell us what money can and can't do. Because this is very unusual for Jesus. Well, it is and it isn't. It's not unusual for Jesus to invite somebody to follow him. And in order to do that, they have to leave something behind. In the, uh, with uh, Matthew, the tax collector, he goes by Matthew when Matthew is at work and he says, Matthew, come follow me. And Matthew needs to leave his job and follow Jesus. Jesus walks by Peter, James, and John, and they're fishing. And Jesus says, come follow me. And they they leave their nets and their boats and their business, and they go and follow Jesus. What's unusual is this is the only time in the Gospels where, where Jesus goes to somebody who has money and says, you need to give it all away and then come and follow me. Jesus comes into contact with other people that are wealthy. Uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, very wealthy. Zacchaeus, who we'll look at in just a minute in Luke chapter 19, very wealthy. With those two guys, Jesus doesn't even mention money, let alone tell them to go and give it all away. So why does he do it with this guy? This guy, the, the story begins with this man coming to Jesus and saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why does he ask that? Something is missing. You know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm pretty sure I have eternal life. Just want a second opinion. Just want to know if you'd offer it. That's not what he does. He's saying, what do I need to do? Because he knows something's not right. Here's a guy who has everything the world has to offer. He has a bunch of money. But he has an itch that money is not able to scratch. All right, I want you to keep that image in your mind. We're going to get back to it about an itch that money can't scratch. I want you to know that God is not anti-wealth or anti-money, which should uh, come as a relief to most of us because most of us are pretty fond of money. Um, (laughs) It's funny. I've said that every service and I'm trying to relieve a little tension with just a little humor, and there's nothing. All right. But uh, the reason I know that God's not anti-wealth is Genesis 1. Genesis 1, God creates all that is, and He creates this world. And then He creates Adam and Eve, 
and he gives them the world. He gives them everything. He says, I made this for you. I didn't make it for me. Here, have dominion over all things. So Adam and Eve had all the land. They had all the natural resources. They had all the gold and the silver and the ore in every mountain. They had all the fruit trees. They had all the animals. There there has never been a couple that were richer than Adam and Eve. And God made them rich. So God is not anti-wealth or anti-money. Now, in the Bible, there, God gives instructions on the right way to make money and the wrong way to make money, and which may be why he says what he says in verse 20. He says this in verse 20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. That's five of the ten commandments. Those are the five commandments that have to do with our relationship with each other. And then there are five commandments that have to do with our relationship with God. And Jesus, in those questions, might have been asking him, so how did you make your money? Did you lie? Did you cheat? Did you steal? Did you kill? And this guy goes, no. No, I did it right. And Jesus doesn't challenge him. Jesus accepts it. So here's a guy where we know that God's not against wealth. He's not against money. And here's a guy who did it the right way. So why does Jesus tell him to give it all away? Let's get back to the itch. Let's say I have an itch right in the middle of my back that I can't reach. This happens sometimes. And I go to my wife and I say, hey, honey, can, can you scratch right in the middle? I can't reach. And I'm dressed the way I'm dressed. What will she say? She might say, uh, you might want to take off your coat. And I said, no, no, leave my coat on. Then she would say, all right, but then I might not be able to scratch the itch. This guy comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Something's missing. I can't scratch this itch. Jesus says, I can scratch that itch, but you have to take off your coat. And this guy said, I can't do that. Because what he was doing was he's trying to use money to do something that only Jesus can do. And when we try to use money to do something only Jesus can do, it causes a real problem. And the thing that we use money for sometimes, and I think that was what was happening in this young man's life, is that we can use money to give us value. That's why we call it a net worth. We can use it to, to give us security. We can use it, use it to give us our identity. Money has the power to blind us, maybe more than almost anything else in this world. It blinds us in the way that it makes us think that this world is all there is, which is why maybe Jesus said to this guy, listen, go and sell all that you have. And he doesn't just leave it there. He says, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he's trying to get this guy to, sit, to just see, listen, you have a lot right here, but this isn't all there is. I want you to imagine a world where there's no money, that you have no houses, you have no company, you have no income, and all you have is me. Will I be enough for you? And this man can't even imagine that. Right? How blind do you have to be to be looking at the king of all that is and saying, no, no, you're offering me yourself, but I have this little tiny piece of your kingdom, and I'd rather have this than you. And that's what he says to Jesus. And then it says that he walked away sad. The Gospel of Mark uses the word for how he felt a particular word, the same word that Matthew uses in Matthew chapter 26 to describe how Jesus felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Scripture says that he was so deeply grieved that he was sweating drops of blood. Why was Jesus so deeply grieved? And the reason is he was being separated from the source of his life, of his worth, of his value, of his security, of his identity. He's being separated from God himself. And here this young man walks away from Jesus. And there's something deep down inside of him that knows he is turning away from the only one who can give him worth and value and security and identity. Last thing about this. And I didn't realize this until just this week. So Jesus is talking to this man that we call the rich young ruler. And Jesus was himself a rich young ruler. Jesus was probably 31 years old at the time. And if we understand Colossians where it says that uh, all things were made by him and for him and through him, then Jesus was the, the richest person that has ever walked on this earth. And he was richer than this young man could imagine. And then according to Philippians chapter 2, Jesus gave all of his wealth up so he could come and be with that young man. And that young man couldn't give up the little tiny pittance that he had in order to be with Jesus. And so he went away sad. So that's the first thing. Avoid the danger. The second point is to discover the joy. And so there's a second story in Luke chapter 19, and I think it comes back to back for a reason. This is the story of Zacchaeus. Let me read the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 19. This is what it says. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he heard and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word also. All right, there are some interesting uh, facts in this passage, interesting details. One is that it says that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. What's the difference between a chief tax collector and a tax collector? Well, a chief tax collector is a boss. And there's a certain decorum in being a boss. Uh, last summer, I received an email from uh, one of the guys on staff. And he was telling everybody, inviting all the men on our staff to meet at the soccer field during lunch because we were going to play kickball. <laughs> I thought to myself, oh, yeah, I haven't played kickball in, I don't know, maybe a half a century. So I went down there uh, just to see what was going on and try to decide whether I wanted to try to play or not. And I, didn't, I decided not to for two reasons. One, I wasn't sure if I tried to kick the ball if my leg would stay attached. Uh, that, was a, that was a negative thing. The other thing was that uh, I didn't want uh, to be embarrassed because I'm a boss. Right? And there's a certain decorum that goes with being a boss. I, I talked to the media guys, and I, I said, hey, what do you think about this? What, what, what if we go downtown to Hudson 
downtown Hudson, and you guys bring your cameras and film me. I'm just going to climb a tree. And we'll see how you can just you know, film people's faces. I'll climb it like Zacchaeus. I won't tell them why I'm climbing it. But we decided not to. Uh, again, for a couple of reasons. One is if we showed you that little you know, clip, it might be the only thing you remember from this whole message. But the other is I just didn't feel like I could do that. Right? Zacchaeus did. I'm going to give you three things that I think uh, if you want to experience the kind of joy that Zacchaeus experienced, these are three things you might have to do. The first, you might have to climb a tree. All right? The second you might have to ignore the crowd. And the third, you have to take Jesus home. Climb a tree, ignore, ignore the crowd, take Jesus home. First, climb a tree. So Zacchaeus, who I don't know how old he was, he might have been my age, he decides that he wants to see Jesus so badly that he's willing to climb a tree. And it was probably just as weird back then as it would be right now. For, for you to see me, at a parade or something and climbing a tree so I could look and see. And it's interesting, it's back to back with this other story of the rich young ruler. And both men knew they were missing something and both men had this inkling that Jesus might be the answer. But only Zacchaeus was willing to climb a tree and that might have made the difference because there's something humbling about climbing a tree. About saying, you know what, I don't care what anybody thinks, I don't care what anybody sees. All I care about is I need to see Jesus. I need to get close to him. The equivalent of climbing a tree for our church, there are a couple of things. One might be at the end of every service, both here in the sanctuary and over in East Hall, we invite people to come forward. We say, listen, if you want to ask questions about Jesus, if you want to, to pray with somebody, if you're going through something, you don't want to go through it alone, you can come forward and pray with them. And so they will pray with you. And I know every week there are people here then end up going, man, I'd like that, but I just can't bring myself to do it. And what you're saying is, I just can't bring myself to climb a tree. I, I worry about what people will think. I worry about how it will look. I just don't want to do that. The other thing is baptism. You know, people will come to know Jesus and they'll say, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be baptized and stuff, but yeah, I just don't know. I just don't feel like I can do that. That's climbing a tree. So if you want to experience what Zacchaeus experienced and that kind of joy, Number one, you might have to climb a tree. The second thing is you have to ignore the crowd. And this is really important. This is big. Because what, the way this passage starts out is it says, uh, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. So he climbed a tree. Right? I say this is important. It's, it's particularly important right now in our country because in our political climate, with um, evangelicals being connected with, Don, with, Don, with uh, President Trump, there are a lot of people who are saying, you know what, I hate Christians now. Because they're so hypocritical, they're so judgmental, they're so mean-spirited. I mean, if Christianity produce, if that's what Christianity produces, those kind of people, how can it be true? And if you're like that, or you know people are like that, what's happening is that they're seeing the crowd that's around Jesus, but they're not seeing Jesus. And the way Zacchaeus dealt with that is that he decided to climb a tree so he could look at, so he could find Jesus, so he could say, I need to see Jesus, not the people that are around him. And the people that are, were around him are the ones in verse 7 that says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Okay, they're very judgmental, they're moralistic, they're kind of mean-spirited, 
And if you read the Gospels, you should know that out of all the people that Jesus talked to, the only people he really thundered against were people like this, were people who used religion to look down on people to feel better about themselves. So my point is this. Um, If you are looking at people to try to decide whether Christianity is true or not, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're always looking at the wrong thing. Because the people who surround Jesus sometimes, the people who call themselves Christians, they, Jesus may be as down on them as you are on them. But be really careful. Be careful that you don't become to them what, they, what the people in this passage are to Zacchaeus. Because it's really easy to get down on people for being down on people. And then you become a person that's down on people. All right? So you have to ignore the crowd. And finally, you have to take Jesus home. And I love this. Jesus goes up to the, uh, to the tree, and it says, verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. He doesn't say to Zacchaeus, hey, Zacchaeus, you have to believe in me. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming into your home. That's his way of saying, I'm coming into your life in a big way. I'm coming into your life in every way. I'm coming right where you live, right where you eat and sleep and have your family and have your friends. I'm going to become a part of everything about you, right? And that's what happens to Zacchaeus. Now, here's my question, though. What does that have to do with money? Why would Luke go out of his way to say that he was rich? Why not say he was a chief tax collector? That's enough. But he said, no, he was rich. And the reason is because when Jesus came into his life in a big way, when Jesus came into his life in every way, it changed Zacchaeus' relationship with money. Because when Jesus scratched the itch that Zacchaeus had for his worth, for his value, for his security, for his identity, then money just became money. And then Zacchaeus becomes just wildly generous. Uh, This is verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 50%. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but you know, throughout the Bible, money is a tough thing. Uh, it's always been a tough thing for human beings. We always count on money to do more than, it should, than it's able to do for us. And so throughout Scripture, there is always this call for people because money is sticky to us. Once we get it, it's hard to get rid of it. I mean, it's hard to to give it away. So throughout Scripture, there's always this thing called a tithe, which is 10% of your income. And what Scripture calls us to is that we give 10% of our income back to God to remind ourselves that He is where we get our value, our worth, our security, our identity. Well, Zacchaeus doesn't give 10%. He gives 50%. Right? Then he goes on and it says... Uh, And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In Leviticus, in the Old Testament, if you stole something, you had to repay what you stole plus 20%. That was the penalty. You didn't go to prison. You paid more than what you stole. Here, instead of paying 20%, he pays 400%. you imagine what that must have been like to be in that house when that's happening? When Zacchaeus, he makes the announcement, hey, hey, I'm going to give away... He must have been bringing out big chests of money and just opening it up and just throwing it around. And if you've ever been around somebody who's just wildly generous, 
uh, everyone gets into it. I mean, it's just, I, I watch Undercover Boss. Uh, it's the show about CEOs that go undercover and they spend time with their employees. And then at the end of the show, there's this reveal where the, the CEO says, I am the CEO. I was undercover. But then the CEO almost always like, becomes really generous to the employees that he met or she meets. And they say, uh, oh, listen, you told me about you're struggling with your house payment. I want you to know I'm going to pay off your house. I'm going to give you $80,000. I'm going I'm to pay for your kids to go to college. You know, by the end, I mean, when it's really generous, everybody ends up crying. I mean, the, the employee's crying, the boss is crying, I'm crying as I watch. Everybody cries. And that's what, listen, uh, that's what was happening here. But you have to get it in the right order. Don't ever get this out of order. Because what happens is Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming into your life right now. He doesn't go to Zacchaeus and say, listen, Zacchaeus, go home, kind of get your life in order, and then I'll come over for lunch. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, first pay back the people that you stole from, and then maybe we'll have a relationship. No, Jesus says, I'm coming right into the middle of where you live. I'm coming into your life in a big way, in every way. And when that happened, then all of a sudden Zacchaeus began to feel joy and even greater freedom. All right? So, this is the challenge. And this is the last thing. So I started out, you know, last week I told you that every act of, of disobedience pushes you further away from God. Every act of obedience will push you deeper into God. So uh, I told you last week that what I've been praying for me personally is if I want to end up here with, with deeper faith in December, with a deeper understanding of God, with deeper love, deeper joy, deeper freedom, then I can't keep doing what I've always been doing. I'm not going to be what I've never been if I keep doing what I've always done. And that's true of you too. So here's the challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus, for us, for, for most of us, money is still an issue. We kind of exist in between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. We don't exist with our money in deep grief, but we also don't experience deep joy. Because we, kinda, we know that Jesus is the one who is supposed to scratch the itch deep down inside of us, but we, we hedge our bets, which is why we hold on to money. That's why tithing is so difficult for people. And this is what I want to invite you to do. This is the challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't for you. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you've said to Jesus, listen, you come into my life in a big way, in every way. I invite you right where I live. And you, have, you struggle with tithing. Then I want to challenge you just to do one thing. I'm going to call it 10 for 1. I want you to, to try to tithe 10% for one month, the month of May, just to see. To see if, that, if obeying God in that area of your life will throw you deeper into joy, deeper into freedom. If it doesn't work, then go back. Go back doing what you've always done. But from time to time this year, there are going to be different times where we challenge you, and it might hit you right where you are to say, if you will do this, if you will throw yourself into obedience, that's the way you're going to be changed. That's the way you'll experience Jesus right here, right now, deep down in your home where you live. All right? So, this is it. Avoid the danger. Don't, don't try to use money for something money wasn't, wasn't intended to be used for. Don't try to use money to give you worth or value or identity or security. Uh, embrace the joy 
of having Jesus come and scratch the itch that every single one of us have. And then accept the challenge if it's for you. If you pray about it and decide, yeah, I'm going to do that. Accept the challenge for, for the month of May. 10% for one month. 10 for one. All right? And together, we'll be transformed in 2018, different in December than we are right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, come to you, and I am grateful that you are someone who doesn't leave different areas of my life alone. Because there are, there are areas of my life that I, have, uh, that I try to keep you out of, I think. Uh, but you have uh, invited yourself right into, the, into my heart, into uh, every place that I live. Because there isn't a single area that you don't want to set me free and give me joy. And that's true of every single one of us. So I pray that you'd help us in, uh, in our lives now. I pray that you would transform us this year into something we have never been uh, by uh, beginning to do stuff we've never done. Thanks. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.